Good morning once again. I'm cleaning up batter. I'm it. I'm in here in the end. And uh, I'm the pastor of family and adults here, if I haven't introduced myself yet. A few weeks ago, we started a new series in the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible in the Old Testament. And this series is going to last us through most of the summer. The book of Exodus is the grand story of God rescuing his people from slavery and suffering in Egypt and bringing them to the promised land where they can be an organized nation with an organized way of relating with God. Now, it always seems confusing to me in a way as how can God's chosen people, why would God allow his chosen people to get into a place of slavery and suffering? Right? Wouldn't you think God would protect them and not allow them to get to a place of slavery and suffering? But we're not going to talk about that this morning. That's a whole other topic for another day. But the book of Exodus has so many great discoveries about God, about his work of salvation, and how to relate to God that was not previously described in Genesis, the first book in the Bible. In Genesis, God is primarily known as God Almighty. But in Exodus, he is primarily called Yahweh, the I am who I am. He's the existing one, the life giver, the life sustainer. He's the one who heals, the one who guides. He's the grand master, the sovereign ruler. He is indescribable. There's not one name that can really be understood about God the one who always was in existence, who will always remain in existence before and after any ruler or president or person in power. He existed before you were born, and he'll exist after you die. He is the one and only God. We learn that God is a holy God, and in order to relate with God, we too must be holy. When God created everything in the beginning, he rested on the seventh day, set it apart, consecrated it to be different than any other day. He called it holy. And that's what holy means. Holy means to be set apart, to be something different, something to be honored as unique and pure, something that's giving reverence and respect. In order to be used by God or in order to relate with God, it must be holy, clean, pure, And that's what we see in the latter half of the book of Exodus is God describing things that are clean, things that are unclean, how to make unclean things clean in order to relate with God. We also learn in Exodus this term redemption. Redemption involves deliverance from bondage and suffering based upon a payment of a price paid by a rescuer. This concept is huge. Redemption recognizes the reality and seriousness of sin's suffering and slavery in our lives. Redemption recognizes the reality and the seriousness that a payment or a ransom needs to be paid in order to buy back, liberate, or free those held by sin's power. In Genesis, we already saw that God requires a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. We already saw that God will provide a substitute for that sacrifice in providing a ram instead of Isaac, Abraham's son. But what we see in Exodus is this substitutionary atonement, this redemption, paying a ransom price on a massive scale by God. 
millions of people. And all of that points forward to Jesus Christ, who God Himself paid the price for so many people to be forgiven of their sins. It says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's so much good stuff in the book of Exodus. Today we're in chapter 4. So I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 4. You can use the Bibles in the chairs underneath you or in front of you, which is on page 48, Exodus chapter 4. We're going to read through the entire chapter just so you can understand the story and the context and the points that I'm going to draw out. Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me? But says, The Lord did not appear to you. So God had already met with Moses in the burning bush and said, I'm using you to go rescue my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, I don't think they're going to believe me. The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. Moses ran from it. But the Lord told him, Stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, Put your hand Inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased like snow. Then he said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. He put his hand back inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they will believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they won't believe even these two signs or listen to what you have to say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since I have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant in speech. The Lord said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also he is on his way now to meet you. When he sees you, his heart will rejoice. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak. I will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Then Moses went back to his father-in-law Jethro and said to him, Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt and see if they're still living. Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now in Midian, the Lord told Moses, Return to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and set out for the land of Egypt. 
And Moses took God's staff in his hand. The Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure you do in front of Pharaoh all the wonders I have put within your power. But I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Now I will kill your firstborn son. On the trip at an overnight campsite, it happened that the Lord confronted him, Moses, and sought to put him to death. So Zipporah took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, and threw it at Moses' feet. Then she said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And at that time she said, you are a bridegroom of blood, referring to the the circumcision. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, go and meet Moses in the wilderness. So he met, went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and about all the signs he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people. The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them, And he had seen their misery. They bowed down and worshipped. So God was giving Moses this important special task of going and speaking before Pharaoh, telling his people that he was rescuing them. Now, Moses was very hesitant in doing this task because he knew that he had some inadequacies within himself. But the thing that Moses needed to understand, the thing that you and I need to understand if we're going to be used by God, is that God will use what you have. God will use what you have. You and I, we don't need to focus on what we don't have. It's not about our level of ability or talent. You're chosen by God to use God's abilities, to speak God's word for God's purpose. It's not about you. He didn't choose you because you were necessarily the best candidate for the job. He didn't choose you because he looked down and said, oh, you're doing a great job in everything that you're doing, and I kind of want you on my team. Perhaps he has chosen you because of your inabilities, because there's something that you can't do. Jesus formed his inner circle, his, his network, his team. He chose Matthew, a tax collector, but he gave the job of a treasurer to Judas. Jesus chose Peter, a fisherman who probably had little education, to go and communicate his message of salvation to the elite, educated religious leaders and to lead the first multi-site, fastest-growing church in the world. It's not about your abilities. It's perhaps about your inabilities because it's in your weakness that God is made strong. It's in your uneducated speech that people say, that person's been with God. They're not just regurgitating something they've learned from a textbook. God knew already that Moses wasn't a good speaker. He already knew that Aaron was the better speaker. But God didn't choose Aaron. He chose Moses. Because God doesn't necessarily call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. 
God will use what you have. He said, Moses, what do you have there? I got a staff. I'm a shepherd. I have a staff. Just a common, ordinary tool. God said, let me see that staff. I'll show you what I can do with something common and ordinary. God loves to use the common and ordinary to do the extraordinary, supernatural work. He's known as Yahweh, the I am of everything. But he wanted to be remembered also as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. What are those three guys? Are they some special guys that God wanted to be connected with? We think about Abraham. What's so special about Abraham? Absolutely nothing. God just looked down and said, I'm picking you. I'm choosing you to father a great nation for me. Moses, or Abraham, excuse me, and his wife Sarah were nearly 100 years old without any children. They weren't the best candidates for a job. They didn't already have a good running start. They didn't have four or 20 children. And God was saying, I'm going to use you. You've got, a, you've got some good things going on there. He said, I'm simply choosing you because of your inability. And Abraham messes it all up and saying, I don't know how God is going to make this work, so I guess I'll father a child with another woman. And I think if God was texting Abraham, he inserts hand on forehead emoji right there. Ah, you're messing it up. And God allows Sarah to have a child many years later, but because Abraham and Sarah literally laughed out loud, (laughs) there's no way God's going to be able to do this and use us. We have no children. We're so old that they named their child Isaac, which means he laughed. Imagine being Isaac, going to places, going to the R&B, saying, what's your name? Laugh. (laughs) Laugh? That's weird. I know. A long time ago, God met my parents. They were about 100 years old. They didn't have any children. It's a long story. That's Isaac. Then there's Jacob. Who's Jacob? Jacob wasn't the next guy in line. He wasn't the next person to inherit from Isaac. He was the younger of twins. And Jacob was a mama's boy who later tricked his blind father with the help of his mother to steal the inheritance, the blessing, from his older brother Esau. That sounds like a great guy. God wants to be remembered as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why? It's because God wants to be remembered as the God who chose someone for no reason at all. He wants to be known as the God who chose someone and used them in such a way that it's nearly laughable about how God could use such a person. He wants to be remembered as a God who chose someone who didn't deserve it. That's what God wants to be remembered for. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can stand up and share your story and say, absolutely, I'm the person that God chose and there's nothing special about me. I didn't deserve it. And the things that God is doing in my life sounds ridiculous, but God is doing amazing things in me and through me. There's nothing special about you when God chooses you. There's nothing special about me when God chose me. And that's kind of a letdown in a way, right? I thought it was someone special, but I'm not, and you're not. Because it's not about you, it's about God. And God is saying, I want to use you. Watch what can happen when I use you, who is common and ordinary. And when someone would look at you, they would know that you have been with God. In order to be truly used by God, we have to be willing to go when God chooses us. When God calls, go and stop the excuses. 
Acceptance is hinged on trust. In order to accept something, you have to trust it. When you accept his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, you trust in what the Bible says is true. You're trusting that what God says is true. You're trusting in his plan of salvation. Moses is doubting that people will accept his message because they don't think they they trust him. Here is Moses, the last time that he was in Egypt was 40 years ago. He tried to stand up for the Hebrews, and he didn't do it in God's way. And the Hebrews said, who are you? Who made you leader and judge over us? And he ran away. How would this people trust Moses? Moses had this position of privilege, being in the house of daughter, of Pharaoh's daughter. How could he possibly relate to a people who was suffering and in slavery for so many years. Perhaps Moses knew that these people needed some signs in order to believe in God. And perhaps that's what keeps us back, keeps us with excuses. We think people need to see signs from God in order to believe in God. We're often hesitant to talk about God because we're not sure whether people will believe in God or whether they really think that God can make a difference in their life. And the burden of proof lies within us. What can I possibly say? What can I possibly do that will allow people to believe that God can make a difference in their life? I'm sure that they've prayed and prayed already. They're in a place of suffering and God hasn't shown up yet. What can I possibly say and do? I want to be able to pray and allow this person to be healed immediately but I'm not sure that's going to happen. So I'm just going to stay quiet. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass God. They may not believe. Or maybe the signs were because Moses himself doubted that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Moses didn't want to show up and have it completely wrong. He didn't want to cause those who already had some unbelief in God believe in him even less. And in order for Moses to deliver that message, I think he wanted some convincing as well. And perhaps your hesitancy is not on whether people are going to believe what you have to say, but do you believe it yourself? Do you believe in God and his abilities to speak up for you when that time comes? Because if you were convinced that God chose you to carry out his message, then would you grab a hold of those ministry opportunities when God puts them before you. We've got to be passionate and serious about God using our limited abilities. God told Moses to grab a hold of that snake. And Moses stretched out his hand and snatched it. Those are two different words. God says, take hold of that serpent. Like later when King David chased down a lion and grabbed it by its fur when it was attacking his sheep, there's a level of confidence and strength and boldness. But here, Moses stretches out his hand and he snatches it. Oh, I got it. He, he wasn't confident. He was, he was cautious. He was timid. He was scared. He wasn't bold. And God said, I need you to be bold. I need you to grab a hold of that snake. We've got to be convinced that God has chosen us to do his work, which is an important task. And if you're not confident that God wants to use you, you're not going to give sacrificially to expand his kingdom. 
You're not going to step up and sacrifice your time to volunteer. We could struggle here at Hope Chapel to provide ministries for kids and teens. We could struggle to minister with people through music and Bible study and life groups. And if we as a church as a whole are not convinced that God has chosen us to spread the love and hope of Jesus Christ into our region, we'll only by chance be able to reach out and take hold of something and rescuing people from sin's grip in our communities. But I know that you are convinced that God is using you, that God has rescued you, because you're taking hold of ministry opportunities. You're giving sacrificially. You're standing up to volunteer. You know that God wants to make a difference through you into our communities. And so we go. We don't make excuses. We go. The reason that we go is because we know that God's work is about breaking down idols, confronting sin, and offering healing. The things that God calls us to do, they're not always exciting. They're not always easy. If I said, during the summer, we're looking for some volunteers to watch a dozen one- to three-year-olds so that our normal volunteers can take a break. How many of you said, ooh, I didn't know that. That sounds exciting. Or if I said, we need some help making coffee, setting up the snacks, and you got to wait till everyone leaves so you can clean up the church. You're like, ooh, super exciting. Where do I go to sign up? Or if I said, hey, we're going to go into our communities and we're going to tell them the love of Jesus. And if they don't accept Jesus, they're on their way to eternal damnation. Wow, that sounds so easy. Sign me up. That sounds exciting. No, it's, it's not always exciting or easy, right? Sometimes it's scary, intimidating. Think about when Moses was told to t- grab hold of the serpent's tail. That's a dangerous thing to do, right? You don't grab a snake by the tail. Where do you grab it? The head, the furthest part away from the tail. God is asking Moses to do something dangerous and something stupid. Why would God do that? Why would God tell Moses to do something so dangerous? I think for two reasons. One, serpent worship was existent in Egypt. Snakes were dangerous. They were poisonous. They were respected and revered and worshipped as idols. And God was asking Moses... I want you to tackle that issue head on, tail on, right? I I want you to show people that that snake has no power in comparison to my power. I want you to grab that snake by the tail. God is about breaking down idols. He wants to break down idols in your life. He wants to be the only thing that you worship. When we get to Exodus chapter 20, that's where the great Ten Commandments come into play. The first two commandments are, you have no other gods beside me, and you will not make an idol to bow down and worship it. When you get to the prophet Ezekiel, later in the Old Testament, he says that it doesn't have to be a physical object in which you create in order to worship for it to be an idol. There could be an idol in your heart. An idol is anything that you put before God, if it gains devotion of your attention, your time, your resources before God, that may be an idol. And God wants to destroy that idol in your heart. He wants to break that down. God's also about confronting sin. Think about the second sign of Moses. He's to take his hand, stick in his cloak, 
pulls it out. Woo, skin disease. Puts it back in there, pulls it out. Ah, it's all good. Never mind. What is that all about? Well, in the Old Testament, some scholars believe there's a connection between skin disease and God's judgment, or at least personal uncleanliness, personal unholiness in relationship with God. We see some of this playing out in Leviticus when there's a description of the skin disease and how to make someone clean, and they have to go through some sacrifices and some religious ritual cleansings in order to be cured from this disease. We see in Numbers chapter 12 where Miriam, Moses' sister, receives a skin disease because she complained about some decision that Moses had made. So there seems to be some kind of connection between a skin disease and judgment with God here in the Old Testament. I'm not saying that today, that if you get sick or if you get some disease, it's because God's mad at you, you did something wrong, and he's judging you. Just saying at this time, there seemed to be that connection. This sign would show that God has the ability to judge, but it also shows that he has the ability to heal. And God is about healing He's about forgiveness. See, God's not just trying to communicate that he's a better than you kind of God. He's all egotistical, all about himself, and you're just dumb and stupid, and you'll never get anything right, and he's going to prove it to you by breaking down your idols and confronting your sin. That's not what it's about. He's communicating his love and saying, there's a better way of living. Having idols in your life, that's no way to live. You don't have to live with the spirit of fear. You don't have to live in a spirit of slavery and bondage. He's given you the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. God wants to confront you, not just so that you can feel bad and feel guilty and shame, but so that you can feel healing and forgiveness. I think that's what we see in the third sign as well, taking water from the Nile, pouring it out, and seeing blood. We'll talk about more of that when we get to the plagues because this was one of the ten plagues that God used to rescue his people from the nation. But I think it has to deal with this idea of judgment and healing through the blood. The whole point I want to emphasize is that doing things for God is not always easy and it's not always exciting, but it is important and it's life-giving. It's not about tearing, tearing people down. It's simply about helping people out. We are called for a rescue mission. Hope Chapel is not a hotel where you can stay and have a good time. Those are part of the thing. But this is a a hospital where we're bringing in those who are sick, those who need healing. And we are given a mission to go out and rescue people who are hurting from sins, suffering. And so we've got to get to a level where we are confident that God has given us this task. In order to do that, we've got to be all in. We can't be hesitant. We can't give excuses. We've got to be able to accept and believe that God's message is for us and that God wants to use us to carry out his message. We've got to see that his message and purpose as a way of truly living life abundantly. We've got to believe that God wants to bring healing to a suffering people. And we've got to believe that people are truly suffering without the love and hope of Jesus Christ. And yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's not always going to be exciting. It's going to involve sacrifices. And yeah, I think we do irritate God when we doubt his decision to use us. The Lord's anger was burned against Moses for his excuses. 
And I think we can irritate God when we give him our excuses. I think we irritate God when we don't take steps of obedience. And maybe that's what's happening here in this story where God is seeking out to kill Moses in this overnight campsite. We're not sure uh, what's really going on here. In the Old Testament, in order to be identified with the covenant with God, the males need to be circumcised. And perhaps Moses was not circumcised. He was raised in the son or the daughter's, Pharaoh's daughter's house. Perhaps he wasn't circumcised or at least fully circumcised. We're not really sure. Maybe God had already been talking to him about this. Maybe when he learned that he was a Hebrew, he didn't take this step towards obedience. Maybe when he was in the 40 years with his father-in-law Jethro, who was a priest in the land of Midian, he never took this step of obedience. Or maybe he just didn't take the leadership in his home and have his sons become circumcised. All we know is at this point, God was irritated with Moses and he sought to, to hurt him. It was only when his wife Zipporah took the lead and circumcised their son. She saw that Moses lacked confidence and trust in God. And it wasn't just something that Moses was dealing with. It was causing harm to the home. It involved sacrifice and commitment. Zipporah recognized that. She recognized that if God's calling you to do something, you can't ignore him. You can't give excuses. You can't run away. You can't just keep disobeying. It's not about you. It's about God. God has chosen you for a purpose. He wants to break down idols in your life. He wants to confront your sin because he wants to offer healing and forgiveness so that you can be a part of his adventure of going and breaking down idols and confronting sin and offering healing to your community or even to this nation. And what you and I need to do is we need to understand that God wants to use us. He will use what you have. The question is, will you allow God to use you? Would Moses allow God to use him and to be a part of this amazing adventure? Will you allow God to use you and be a part of amazing adventure? Let's pray. God, we are in awe that you desire to use us in our inabilities. We're just a common, ordinary person. Doesn't have some great talent. We're not sure why you would choose to use us. There's other people that are more qualified. God, choose them, send them. God, you have chosen to use each and every one of us. Because you want to do an amazing thing. We, you want people to recognize you. So God, help us to believe that you have chosen us. To believe in your message. That your message is important. That we need to communicate that message seriously and boldly with confidence. That message will not always be easy or exciting, but it is important. And it will bring life. God, we don't know what will happen, but if you called us to do it, it's going to happen. We see in Exodus chapter 4, the people believed and they bowed down and worshiped. There was nothing for Moses to worry about. There's nothing for us to worry about. You've called us to do something, so we must go. 
God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the ransom for our sins. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.